Welcome to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm Umbreen Khan. It's summertime, and for many families, that means road trips. I remember fondly getting into the back of our Dodge Monaco station wagon. My dad loved to drive across the Midwest, especially along historic Route 66. From Chicago, we would make our way out of the big city and head through the cornfields to Springfield, Illinois. And then, over to St. Louis, where we'd see that magnificent arch. All those memories came back watching the Great Muslim American Road Trip, which premiered July 5th on PBS and is currently streaming online. The hosts of the show are a millennial couple, Mona Haydar and her husband, Sebastian Robbins. I'm Mona Haydar. And this is my husband, Sebastian Robbins. Hey, babe. Hey, here we come. We're on the road for three weeks. Yeah, you think Route 66, you think Heartland. Taking time out of our busy lives as parents, educators. We're taking back the narrative. And managing my music career. Bonjour, I'm Mona Haider. To follow the Muslim thread woven through the fabric of our country. Muslims have always been part of America since the colonial era. And we're reconnecting with each other along the way. What a miracle it was to meet you and to start our life together. Should I do kiss you and hug you? <laughs> You're so awkward. <laughs> we are taking the great Muslim American road trip. Mona is a Syrian-American who grew up in Flint, Michigan. She's a spoken word rapper who came of age like many young millennials during 9-11. And she has a lot of interest shaped in part by that experience. She's an activist, and she uses music as a form of resistance. She's also a wife and a mom raising two young kids. I met her six years ago at a peace conference for Muslims and Jewish women. She was pregnant at the time and in graduate school. She was facilitating a workshop, sharing how she uses lyrics and poetry, spoken word, as a form of resistance. She also shared how she and her husband, Sebastian, learned a lot about tackling bigotry and just having conversations when they set up a free coffee and donut stand outside a Cambridge library in the dead of winter of 2015 with a sign that said, Ask a Muslim. That outreach earned the couple national attention, in part because it was a reaction to an unprecedented wave of anti-Muslim hate crimes targeting hijab-wearing women known as hijabis like Mona. Now, instead of answering questions, they're the ones learning and introducing viewers around the country to everyday American Muslims living in the heartland. Hey guys, this is Mona and Sebastian. They're traveling down Route 66 and they've stopped in Albuquerque to meet you all. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks for letting us visit. We know nothing about robotics. This so, <laughs> so we, what, what should we know? What are you guys doing? In each episode, we hear different voices and perspectives. 
At one stop, a young woman approaches to share how Mona's music video, Hijabi, made an impact. Like, I was, I'm, I was born in Kansas. <laughs> when I saw your video, it made me feel like I had somebody there. Like, it, I felt seen. Like, I'm obviously not a hijabi, but I do understand, like, some of the... And I also am, like... Covered up or not? Yeah, that's my... That was my favorite... I was about to pull that up. That was my favorite line. <laughs> I loved that. That was the covered up or not, we all... That don't, was my, don't ever take don't us ever, for granted. Yeah, I loved that line. That made me, like, giddy. I, I loved that line. Covered up or not, don't ever take us for granted. All around the world, love women ever shaded. between the famous images of Muhammad Ali and the interviews of everyday folks gathering in community, viewers are reminded that this is also about the journey of a couple looking for reconnection. My husband and I, we just got so busy with our kids and I was in graduate school and my music kind of changed my life and everything got so full and busy and we kind of forgot about us for a little bit. And so our anniversary is coming up and we're just trying to take a little trip to, I don't know, hang out with each other. Well, it definitely has the light features and sounds of a reality show meeting a travel log. There is an unmistakable mission. There seem to be so many negative portrayals of Muslims and Islam without really any sense of who Muslims really were. Uh, and, and, you know, the idea of, getting beyond the headlines uh, captured my attention. The idea that we you know we need to tell stories that aren't just the, the very few stories we see in the headlines that are news items about terrible things happening around the world, but who are Muslims and what is Muslim culture and you know what is Islam? So that just was an idea that was percolating. That's Alex Cronomer. He's the film director and the co-founder of Unity Productions Foundation, a nonprofit media organization founded with fellow journalist Michael Wolf. I spoke to Alex by phone the week the film premiered on PBS stations across the country to learn more about the casting decisions, the behind-the-scenes challenges, and how the interest in representation of Muslims in Hollywood is changing. Alex Cronomer. Welcome to Inspired by Interfaith Voices. It is a pleasure to have you on, and I'm excited to talk with you about this new documentary. Tell us about the couple, and why did you choose them? You know, when we first had this idea of doing a road trip, the question was, who would be it? You know, and initially we thought, you know, we're thinking of a single person who's going to go. And, and then we realized that whether it was a man or a woman, we'd really be only getting half the story. I mean, the idea is seeing America through the eyes of an American Muslim, but the eyes of a woman and the eyes of a man can see different things. So that was when we kind of got the notion we needed a couple to be part of this and to do this. You know, we really wanted this to be real. You know, we wanted it to be people who really wanted to take a trip were, were interested. And, and they were somebody coming out of COVID lockdown who were really uh, needing to go on a trip and also needing some time with each other. They've, they've been busy with their careers, with their children. Were the kids with them? It sounds like if this was supposed to be a second honeymoon, maybe the kids were not there. Their children didn't come, mainly because they wanted to preserve the privacy of their children. The film will largely be accepted in a positive way. But in this divisive country that we live in, there's going to be no doubt 
some negativity, and they didn't want their children to be exposed to that. And uh, they had felt that they had grown apart a little bit. So part of what they were hoping to have happen was, you know, spending time together, kind of, you know, re get to know each other again, as it were. So we thought that that also would provide a some story, uh, a quest, a meaning, a reason for them to go on the trip that would make for good television. So Mona wears a hijab and she's a hip hop rapper. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet her years ago, and she has this really welcoming, radiant personality. And I remember she was um, someone who was just absolutely comfortable talking to strangers, which I am too, and I love it. Tell me a little bit about Sebastian. Sebastian is a really interesting guy, very deep, and they were a perfect foil for each other. Mona is effervescent, you might say, in how she talks and how she connects with people, and uh, Sebastian um, processes the encounters a bit more. He's an educator. He was a, a, a principal of a school. He, he taught in schools. Uh, he's been an executive at this foundation uh, called the Lama Foundation. It's kind of like an interfaith street center where he met Mona. And he's now into uh, working on sustainable farming and kind of has helped launch, you know, many farms around the country into sustainable farming techniques. You know, he's an interesting contrast to Mona. I mean, Mona, you know, dresses impeccably all the time. Mona has a lot of style. Sebastian, you know, basically brought the clothes he was going to wear in a backpack. And part of what I liked and why we ended up having him as host is that contrast that they have, that balance uh, that they have, and you know, not only on screen, by the way, but in the relationship. I mean, I think they each kind of complete each other. You know, in the spirit of best couples. You know, mm. when when you really find somebody who kind of kind of completes you, who who fills the gaps that you have, and vice versa. You know, that's you know, those are the relationships that are uh, pleasant to be around. And we're inviting an audience to you know, be, in essence, in a back seat of a car with these two people for three thousand miles. So we wanted we, we wanted to also have a couple who had that kind of glue. And they really do, which I think will be evident anyone watching the program, which isn't to say, by the way, that they don't get on each other's nerves at times. I was about to ask you, like that kind of balance, is there ever friction? Yes. In fact, uh, there is friction. Mona takes a little while to get ready in the morning. Sebastian kind of can throw on his clothes and is ready to go. You know, Mona uh, is uh, someone who needs downtime. You know, so she's very good talking to people. She, She at the same time, she needs to recharge uh, by being off on her own. Sebastian never needs that. He's like the ever-ready battery, always ready to interact, always ready to talk. So those are, those are some of the differences that if you're taking a road trip with anybody can begin to um, uh, annoy each other. And they do annoy each other at times. Uh, but that makes the whole thing more real. It's a real couple taking a real trip and, and everything you imagine that to be happens. It sounds like Sebastian and Mona also are reflective of the diversity of Muslims in America to some degree. Sebastian being a convert raised uh, in a tradition other than Islam and Mona being someone who wears hijab. Not all women wear hijab and comes from an immigrant background. That in and of itself, too, is kind of quite a bit of contrast. Yeah, that is. And the diversity element is really evident throughout the entire program. Because we're taking a trip across the United States and we're visiting many communities, the immense diversity of the American Muslim community, which is reflective of Muslims in the world, is apparent. At the end of this thing, the major takeaway of an audience would be you can't anymore like just make a blanket statement that Muslims are this or Muslims are that. They're not. 
I should say that the show is not just about Muslims. I mean, they're on Route 66, and Route 66 is its own kind of wonderful, wacky uh, journey. And our couple fully engages in that journey along the way. And so we also had uh, encountered people who like knew Route 66, like that was their life to know it, had written books about it, who would say, oh, you've got to stop here. Oh, you've got to see this. And so we put those things on the itinerary too, as we were going along. Uh, so we, we also see some of those really kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, things that are, that are really amusing uh, and are unbelievable uh, in their, you know, in their Americana. Had you done this before or was this new for you? It was new for me. I had never done it before. Uh, and I was constantly surprised, uh, not only as we were doing it, but in the planning of the trip. You know, initially, the idea was, hey, we're going to take Route 66. And, you know, I, I knew we were going to hit a couple big towns, big cities along the way. Hey, there's Chicago and we're in St. Louis. And then, you know, we're on to, you know, Santa Fe and L.A. So I'm, I just assumed that we would encounter Muslims at those stops. What I didn't realize was how many Muslim stories we found along the way in places uh, that you wouldn't even imagine Muslims ever being in. For example, in the tribal lands of New Mexico, uh, we found the story of perhaps the first Muslim ever in North America who, was, who came just a few years really after Columbus. Estevanico was a Muslim from West Morocco. He was picked up by Spanish conquistadors who embarked upon this expedition to Mexico City. Their vessel capsized. The entire fleet perished and drowned, except for four individuals. One of them was Estevanico. They would be held for about four years as slaves to this indigenous tribe of Texas but they would actually escape. Estevanico is the one that almost created America. He comes in, he designates this to be uncharted territory, literally opening those gateways for the rest of the world to now filter into what is now North America. This is amazing history that very few of us have heard about. One of the first people to come in was this enslaved African Muslim. Because of his skills as a guide and navigator and a great facility with learning languages, uh, led a small expedition of, of Spanish uh, folks across the United States from Florida all the way to Mexico City. The first probably non-indigenous people to do that. That was, that was a Muslim. And we found that story at the Zuni Pueblo in New Mexico. How did you find that story? When we were in St. Louis, uh, we met with a very eminent a scholar of a Muslim American history named uh, Edward Curtis. We spent a, a better part of an afternoon with him. Uh, he kind of takes the couple on a tour of a museum and really talks about immigration, Muslim immigration, talks about a number of things about how, how Muslims first came to this country. But he also shared stories of that person and, you know, kind of said, be on a lookout. And so, you know, that became part of our itinerary uh, was to go to that place and learn about him. Did you have any nostalgic moments as you were encountering some of these landmarks? You know, to be honest with you, I was really occupied during the trip. In fact, <laughs> the, the, the funny thing is, I mean, probably more than anybody else, you know, I was the director. So everyone else had downtime at some point, but I really had no downtime because I was always either 
preparing for the next thing we were going to do, uh, getting ready for that, uh, you know, figuring out how we were going to, you know, we were going to places none of us had been before. So, you know, where are we going to set up cameras? How are we going to get this done? Blah, blah, blah. Managing all those logistics or upon leaving a place, you know, writing notes. This is what, you know, to keep track of what happened, what were the good parts, what were the things that were memorable, what things might end up being in the film. And so the funny thing is uh, I've really been experiencing the trip almost for the first time by watching the, the footage, you know, and I'll so many times I'll say, Oh my God, did we actually drive past that? I, I, <laughs> I, I was, I was looking at my laptop. I didn't see it. You know, So, so I missed a lot uh, because I was, I was very much in the uh, production mode. As you describe the drive through middle America at the beginning of our conversation, you talked about some of the divisiveness that we encounter today and, you know, Everywhere you look, people are talking about that, that this is a really divided time. What were the reactions to Mona and Sebastian? To be honest, um, no, we were never really at any place, any length of time, you know what I'm saying, uh, where we might have attracted attention, either positive or negative. You know, we were traveling often two or 300 miles a day. So we were driving and then we were stopping and filming and then back in the car driving again, except for the fact that we were pretty, you know, you can't just show up at these places and throw out cameras. Before you get there, you, you need to say, hey, we're going to be uh, uh, arriving at your restaurant and we want to film. And you have to have people agree or disagree, right? And I can say that only one, uh, uh, one establishment along the way like that said, no, we don't want you. We don't want to have anything to do with Muslims. And that was just one out of maybe five dozen. Uh, so overall, it was very welcoming. I mean, you know, this is the thing, you know, we, in some respects, the, the divisiveness that we feel or see hides uh, a, a spirit Americans have of really Americans just really want to get along with each other. I mean, at heart, we don't want to be divided. We want to get along. And I think that's why the, the current divisiveness that we see is so upsetting to everybody, whichever side you're on. Because we want to believe that our fellow Americans are kind of like on the same page with us and we're on the same journey. And when, when things, uh, even if they're, they're relatively minor, appear to show that that isn't the case, um, uh, then um, it's very painful. Uh, so, so I think that there, there was just largely a spirit of welcoming for most of the places we went and most of the people we met. After the break, I continue my conversation with director Alex Cronimer. His latest film, The Great American Muslim Road Trip, is currently streaming on PBS.org. When we come back, Alex explains the good Muslim, bad Muslim character traps in Hollywood and why it's such a problem. There's this idea of, you know, the good, in quotes, the good Muslim who's portrayed in many of these things. And the good Muslim is usually the one who doesn't practice, is usually the one who also drinks alcohol who also does this and also does that, who's like everybody else. And often the one who is portrayed as being more religious is often the bad guy or often the negative foil. Stay with us. We'll be back after this short break. Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. 
I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. (laughs) 